Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Iggy. I'm the pastor here at Cooper's Place Evangelical, and a warm welcome to you. Uh, if you're joining us today for the first time, and a warm welcome to all the regulars as we dig into God's Word. Um, my apologies, my voice is not sounding amazing today. I've been fighting a cold, and I think I'm losing that battle in a sense, but uh, God is good, uh, so it's a privilege that I uh, can stand here and bring you God's Word today. Now, I want to start by saying something as we think about the topic of marriage today. Marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. I'm sure we can see that whether we're married or not. All around us, um, we actually have uh, broken, dysfunctional marriages. Um, that might have been something that you've experienced uh, through friends or your parents or your own marriage, even. And I'm sure, like me, you wish that wasn't the case. Wouldn't you love to see marriages that just work? Wouldn't you love to see marriages that flourish, that go well? Wouldn't you love that for yourself? Wouldn't you love that for your friends? Wouldn't you love that for your parents? Wouldn't you just love to see marriages that go well? Well, friends, let me tell you something. There is a key to that. There is a key to marriages that work. And it's to listen to God's way. Listen to God's way. Because God, He's the one that's created marriage. So He's the one that knows how marriage works. He's got a good design for marriage. And He's told that to us. Told that to us through His Word. But I want to say something as we dig into His Word to look at what marriage says. Just a little warning here. It won't be what we would expect. It won't be what we naturally would do. So let's prepare ourselves, humble ourselves before God and hear what He has to say about marriage. Today from Ephesians 5, we're going to look at what spirit-filled marriages look like. Spirit-filled marriages. And uh, there's a few points we'll be looking through. Number one, wives submit. Number two, husbands love. Number three, the ultimate distortion. That's what we'll be looking at when marriages don't look like they're supposed to. And number four, the bigger picture. Now, uh, we're covering a lot of ground today, friends, but um, please uh, stay with me because there are some very important issues to talk about that affect you, whether you're married or not. Uh, for singles here with us today, please don't switch off as we go through this sermon uh, because these are important truths for you to hear uh, as you look forward to prepare for marriage potentially in the future. But even if God's plan isn't for you to be married in the future, you are in a church, you're surrounded by people who are married, so it's very important for you to understand how you can be encouraging them and spurring them on to live out God's way in marriage. Uh, if you're not a believer, if you're non-Christian, you're here with us today, uh, may I encourage you that even though you might not agree with what God's Word says, that you keep an open heart and an open mind as you come to God's Word. I want you to think seriously and think, how does God's view of marriage compare to what you've seen? Okay, so if you're not a believer, I'd love for you to be thinking, how does God's view compare to what you've seen? All right. Now, before we start, we need to set the, set the scene a little bit. The context of this passage is actually spirit-filled living. Now, I don't know if you remember last week, uh, we look at Ephesians 5.18, uh, and this is from last week's passage, and at the, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And last week, we looked at two elements of spirit-filled living. We looked at the elements of singing, singing to God, but singing to one another, encouraging one another in song. And the other element of spirit-filled living we looked at was giving thanks in everything, giving thanks in everything. But there's a third element to spirit-filled living, which we find in verse 21, which is this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what flows from being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this verse is the bridge to actually introduce the following section as it outlines three different relationships of spirit-filled submission. Uh, so there's wives and husbands in 5, 22 to 33. There's children and parents in verse uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And there's slaves and masters in 6, verses 5 to 9. And the thing to note here is in verse 21 when it says, Submit 
to one another, it isn't talking about mutual submission. It isn't saying that everyone just submits to everyone, there's no difference here. Uh, what it means is to submit appropriately according to the relationships that you have. Uh, for example, you see that really clearly with children submit to their parents. As much as kids would like it, parents are not to submit to their children. If that was the case in my house, we'd be having ice cream for every meal all the time. And that's not a good thing. You see, these, this order that God has put into place is for our good. There's an order of how we should relate to one another. And we're going to come to our first point now as we think about that. Wives submit. So open up your Bibles to verses, uh, chapter 5, verse 22, 24. And read with me. Chapter 5, verse 22, 24. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, as we explore this concept of submission, I want to, I want to acknowledge something that this, for some of you, may be very hard to hear. Uh, you may have suffered at the hand of someone who's actually abused their authority and uh, exerted power over you in an ungodly way. And if this is you, I'm so sorry that that's happened. I'm so sorry. I want you to know something, that this is not God's way. It's not God's way. And as we look into His Word today, I hope you'll see that, that this is not what God wants. For others of us, we find this passage hard for other reasons. Women, uh, many of you, as you read this verse, you're probably a little bit insulted that this verse even exists. And I think part of that reason is because for all of us, male or female, uh, part of who we are as humans is that we don't like being told what to do. To be human, to express ourselves, means that we are individuals, that we have autonomy, that we're not dependent on anyone else, that we do what we want to do, that we are free to do that. That's the ultimate expression of self. That's what society tells us. So when someone comes to exert their authority over us, to tell us this is what you should do, then we reject that. We push back against that. But let me encourage all of us today that this is God's word. So please come with soft hearts, being willing to listen to what God has to say. And there's a few things to understand about submission. The first thing to understand is submission is about roles not value. The word submit in its most basic definition is to acknowledge authority and to arrange yourselves appropriately in relation to that authority. That's what it means. To acknowledge authority, authority and to arrange yourselves appropriately. It is about roles. It's about order. So the idea of male headship and submission is actually it's founded in creation. It's founded in that Genesis account. If we go back to Genesis, we see God created men and God created women, and He created them to be different, to have different roles. Well, at this point, you might be thinking, well, it's a little bit unfair that women get this lesser role. It's quite demeaning that they have to submit. And let me suggest something. I think the thing, why we think that, is because in our society and how we've been trained to think is that we attach our value based on our roles, based on what we do. Right? So that's, that's how we attribute value to questions. When we meet uh, to people, so when you meet someone, what's the first question that you normally ask them? You ask them, what do you do? What do you do? And then you make a judgment call on their value based on the answer they give you. We give more respect to the doctor than we do to the retail assistant. If we're honest with ourselves, that's what we do. Because we look at what they do and we attribute value to them. We attach value to their roles. But let me tell you something. That's not how God thinks about us. That's not how God defines value in us, based on our roles, based on what we do. He doesn't see you like that. He bases value on who you are. Have a look at Genesis 1.27 coming up on the screen here in the creation account. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Do you see in creation... That male and female, man and woman, are both created in the image of God. 
which means that we are all infinitely precious in God's sight. We are made in His image. And that is where our value comes from. That is why God attributes value to each and every one of us equally, no matter what we do, no matter what we can do, because we are made in His image. So friends, we need to start seeing value based on how God sees value, not based on what we do, but it's based on who we are. Men and women are different in role, but they are equal in value. Submission is not about value. That's the first thing we have to understand. Uh, the second thing is submission is willing. Now, while submission, it's founded in creation, it's actually defined by something else. It's defined by the relationship between Christ and the church. Um, so have a look at these verses with me. For, uh, let's start from verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. The church and Christ, that's the model of submission that we're looking at here. And when it says, now as the church submits to Christ, we need to think about that. Uh, think about how the church submits to Jesus Christ, its Lord. How God's people submit to Jesus. It isn't an enforced subjection by Jesus Christ. He does not force His will upon us to say, He doesn't conquer us and say, now you have to bow down to me and worship me. That is not how it works. We, God's people, the church, we submit to Christ, but we do so willingly, don't we? We come before Him voluntarily, bowing our knee to Him, acknowledging His good rule and His good authority. It isn't forced upon us. We recognize the authority of Jesus Christ and then we relate to Him appropriately as His people. It's not a forced subjection by Jesus Christ. It's a willing submission from the church. And that is the sort of submission that God is calling for wives to give. If you notice, verse 22 says this, Wives, submit yourselves your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. Submit yourselves. Wives, submission to your husband is something that you choose. You choose to do this. In the same way that you willingly entrust yourself to the good authority of Jesus Christ, you willingly entrust yourself to the authority of your husband. You choose to submit. It's not forced. The third thing to know about submission, submission is ultimately to Jesus. So, Ephesians 5, 22 again. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Note that phrase, as you do to the Lord. Um, <clears throat> your submission to your husband's wives is actually an outworking of your submission to Jesus Christ. That's something you have to understand. How you conduct yourselves in marriage isn't some separate thing, but it's part and parcel of you living out the Christian life. To, to your submission to Jesus Christ as King. Your marriage is under Jesus Christ. Your desire to live for Jesus Christ, that is your ultimate goal, always, in everything. And marriage is no exception. This is what will keep you willingly submitting to your husband, even when he isn't doing a good job at leadership. Because ultimately, you are submitting to Jesus Christ, not him. That's the ultimate person you're submitting to. And this truth, uh, it tells us something else, that there's also limits to submission. If you look at verse 24, it says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. In everything. Now this verse seems to suggest that everything your husband tells you to do, every little thing, you just have to listen to your husband, you just have to do it. Uh, that there's no, there's no exceptions, that this is just a total command. But what is actually being talked about here is your overall posture, your position, that you have a willingness to submit, a willingness in all areas of life, that nothing's out of bounds there, that it's all areas of life. But there are things you say no to. There are things you say no to because Jesus is the one you submit to, ultimately. So if your husband wants you to lie on your tax return, you don't do that. 
if, if your husband wants you to be sexually immoral for the sake of his fantasies or something like that, you don't submit. If your husband wants you to neglect the children, you don't submit because your submission is to Jesus Christ, your Lord, ultimately. You need to remember that. Jesus is King. Submission to your husbands is always the outworking of your ultimate submission to Jesus Christ. Wives, can I urge you to remember those things? They're just three quick points, important principles for submission. And what I want to do now is something a little bit different. I'm going to invite my wife up, Lee Ching, and she's going to share a little bit about submission from a wife's perspective because I think this will be really helpful for the women to hear. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, so Iggy gave me the uh, impossible task of talking about submission to the sisters, the women here today, in five minutes. And I said, my dear, we spent three Bible studies on womanhood, one whole morning on the topic. I really need more time. And so he graciously cut down his sermon so I could have five more minutes, <laughs> so I have ten. Um, the other reason this is actually really hard is because I'm no expert on the topic. Um, I struggle and I stumble on what submission looks like in marriage between Iggy and myself. After almost 10 years, one could say I'm a slow learner. But the reason I'm here is to offer my sisters here some encouragement as a woman who is convinced that this is something that God really desires for all of us to do. And it's really crucial for our marriages. Now the first thing to say about submission um, that Iggy already mentioned is that it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? Are we actually willing to submit to God first and foremostly? So ladies, how are our relationships with God going? I think the key in working out how to submit to our husbands starts with a heart willing and ready to submit to God. Not holding on to our agenda and our desire to please ourselves but actually being willing to let go and let God be God of our whole lives, including our marriages. Our ability to submit respectfully to our flawed and imperfect husbands must be driven by a desire to live and surrender to God first. So my dear sisters, are you willing and ready to take God's word seriously, to obey it in our lives? You see, heart change must come first. Secondly, do we actually see ourselves as sinners who have received grace and forgiveness? Because only when we realize that we've received forgiveness can we actually offer forgiveness to our husbands who will inevitably sin and wrong us just as we sin and wrong against them. So are we ready to take that log out of our eyes before we go picking the specks from our husbands? And thirdly, our ability to submit to our husbands can only be fueled by a confidence and a satisfaction in Christ. A confidence and a satisfaction that's only found in Christ. You see, our value and our worth are found only in Christ, isn't it? We can't find that in our husbands. So are we feeding regularly off the gospel for the nourishment that we need? Because when we realize our greatest needs are fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross, then we don't keep outsourcing this to our husbands. And this frees us up to not burden them to try and satisfy all our desires and all our wants. And we don't begrudge them when they're not living up to our hopes and our expectations. And when things get really difficult in marriage, we hope in the Lord. We don't hope in our husbands. So ladies, I cannot emphasize how important it is that we need to soak ourselves in the gospel, tell yourselves the gospel each and every day. Are we prioritizing reading God's word? Are we meeting regularly with God's people? Are we committing to prayer? Because when we do this, we find forgiveness. We find satisfaction. We find our worth. And we keep coming back to a God who is worth submitting our whole lives including our marriages. So with a heart that's soft and ready and willing to be changed by God, God promises to produce all kinds of fruits in us. 
Now that being said, what does submission actually look like day to day, week to week? Now a lot of what I say doesn't come from myself, but a whole lot of godly women who have been thinking a lot on this subject and who have been so generous and articulate in the way they share, one of whom was Kim, who spoke to us two weeks ago. Um, and after this, Iggy will post up a whole bunch of links, including um, some of the resources that I looked at before today. So it's important to say what submission is not. What submission is not. Now, submission is not abdicating physical, intellectual, or spiritual responsibility from yourself or your family. So if you look at Proverbs 31, the famous Proverbs 31 woman, she doesn't outsource any of that responsibility. She makes many decisions for herself, for her family, and for those around her. She is busy for the good of her husband, her children, and her own godliness. She doesn't blame anybody else. Uh, and this means we have to be responsible for ourselves. This also means that you can take the initiative in your marriage. And it can be a really good and helpful thing. Organizing date nights, making the effort to connect, making the effort to read the Bible and pray together, helping your husband teach your children the Bible. These are just a few examples. Secondly, being submissive does not mean agreeing with every single thing and not ever having an opinion or ever having a robust argument. I think it's the manner in which we talk that matters, not being a doormat. And submission is also not pretending that we have perfect marriages. It does not mean that we don't talk about the difficult things in marriage. In fact, church, of all places, is really the place that we need to be real and honest about our struggles and challenges of marriage. Because God's word is the truth and it holds out the truth. Now Iggy is a wonderful and godly husband. And mind you, he was like this before he became a pastor. So I don't think I need to convince you that he cares for me and the kids deeply. He gives his best. He really does. Um, and he loves me by listening to my woes and my joys of mothering. And he always makes sure I get enough rest. And he always tries to be as hands-on as possible. And every Saturday morning, he makes all this effort to make pancakes and whatever breakfast the kids want, because it's a special day, and they're actually really good now. Yet in my sinfulness, I often find myself finding fault in all his shortcomings. I keep track of how many times he's lost his wallet. Dream World, Movie World, Westfield. How many times I ask him to find something in the fridge and he can never find it. I blame him for forgetting the piano books to piano lessons again. And after he has spent hours taking care of the children, all I can do is come back and focus on the mess that they've left behind. My tone is harsh, my words are curt, my praise is lacking, and I'm so ready to demean, to belittle, to find fault and discourage. It's sad, isn't it? But it's kind of a bit familiar too. Some of us might really be struggling with that. So as I reflect and share these thoughts on submission, can I really encourage you that I am preaching this to myself too? And I am teaching myself every single day what it means to look at my husband and show him the respect that he so desires and that God desires. So submission looks different depending on who you marry. It's going to look different depending on your husband. So take time to work out what this looks like. In fact, it takes a lifetime. A few people have likened it to dancing. Sometimes you step on each other's toes. You've got to learn the steps and you work it out. So can I say it's something you really need to talk about and it's dynamic? Um, so start having that conversation. How your husband desires to be respected can look really different from how my husband wants to be respected. I think the underlying key is respect. Respect the role that your husband has. It's a role of leadership that God has given him and he is answerable to God. What, what a big weight. So will you help him to be the leader that God wants him to be? Can I suggest six practical things that we can do? Honor your husband for who he is and not punishing him for who he's not. This can be so difficult because we often see their failings so clearly. But you know, our husbands don't need to be told when they've made a mistake, trust me, they already know. And even if your husband is disappointing, slow to initiate, clumsy in his efforts, please respect him, patiently encourage him, and build him up with your words 
Assume he already knows his weaknesses and his shortcomings, and he might be really helpless to change. So allow your husband to be human by putting our hope in God and not in him. It takes the pressure off them. Can we say to them, do your best before God and we'll be okay? Secondly, be your husband's biggest fan. As his wife, you should know what he's very good at and tell him and show him how much you appreciate it. What areas is he passionate in? How naturally good in? Help him to lead in those ways. Now be interested and involved in the things that he's passionate about. And do we praise their efforts, their strengths, and their ideas? Do you do this in front of him? And actually, do you do this in front of others? Thirdly, honor his preferences. Honor your husband's preferences. It's actually about listening carefully to your husband and finding out what his preferences are. Because it's very likely that your husband is leading your family by expressing his preferences. I'll say this again. We women want our husbands to initiate. We want them to lead. And it's likely that they are, they are showing this by expressing their preferences. Do we just brush it aside as kind of annoying or not a very clever idea? Or do we take time to acknowledge and follow them? An example for me is that my husband often likes to eat out. But because I think, oh, it's a waste of money, it's, you know, I don't want to lock the kids out and then have to feed them all there, I often opt to cook. But actually, I actually really do need to listen to my husband more on this. Now, for the mums here who have children and young children, the ones at home, do we prioritize our husbands above our children? Do we seek to make the home a place where they actually want to return to? Now, I know we do have a big and tiring job of taking care of our children, but our husbands actually do work really hard at their jobs too. And do we acknowledge and do we support their hard work? Do your children know that dad is very important to mom? Do you praise and honor your husbands in front of your children? A good, strong marriage really is the best thing that we can give our children. Number five, remember your husband is not your enemy. We are both on the same team. The enemy is sin. So be ready to ask for forgiveness. Be ready to give forgiveness as you work together as a team to serve your family, to serve the church, and to, support, to serve your community. And number six, pray, pray. Pray. Pray for God to work in you so that you can produce all sorts of righteousness. But pray, pray for your husband because he needs your prayer. Now this is by no means an exhaustive list. Many of you here are married many more years than I have been and I would love to hear your thoughts and the ways that you have found helpful. Now whatever his failings, how can we treat our husbands with respect and build them up with our words? Can I suggest that we all start a conversation with our husbands today and ask him, what makes you feel respected? Thanks, dear, for sharing. Uh, I hope that was helpful for everyone to hear, especially for the women to hear our wives' perspective um, on that. And uh, you also see I'm far from a perfect husband, uh, but uh, Li Cheng, I give thanks to her for her willing submission and her encouragement in my leadership. All right, men, your turn. You ready? Okay. Uh, I won't be as soft as my wife. As we look to uh, what husbands are to do, um, I, I expect maybe as we think about submission and headship, that as we think about the parallel command, what we're actually expecting, what, what would you, what, you might expect something like this to come up for the husbands. Husbands, rule your wife. Or husbands, have authority over your wife. But what does that actually say? Ephesians 5 verse 25. Open that up with me. Ephesians 5 verse 25. What does it say? Husbands, 
love your wives. Love your wives. That command to love your wives appears three times throughout this passage. Love your wives. Yes, husbands have been given the role of authority in the marriage, of headship, of leadership in the marriage, but that authority is defined by love. By love. And once again, we look back to the model of Christ and the church for that. Um, We love as Christ loves the church. Keep reading with me. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The model here that we look at is Christ's love for the church. And let me tell you something, there's no greater love than the love that Christ shows His church. Because Christ loves us when we were at our most unlovable. He, he loves a people like us, so filthy with sin, so, so stained by sin that there's no way on our own that possibly we could ever be acceptable to God, to a holy and perfect God. No chance. But it was at that point that Jesus looks at our hopeless state and He sees us, and He loves us. And He loves us with a love that has never been seen before, an incomparable love, a love that is self-sacrificial, a love that is total, that is all-giving, a love that drives Him to the cross, a love that drives Him to give His very life for us, to sacrifice Himself so that we could be forgiven so that we could be made clean, so that we could be holy, so that we could be acceptable to God and come back to Him again. This, this is love. Love like no other. Total giving, self-sacrificial love. Now I'm sure all of us have been to enough weddings to uh, know something that for a bride to be prepared for a wedding ceremony it takes a long time. It takes a long time, doesn't it? It's a miracle if the bride actually arrives at the ceremony on time. How many times has that actually happened? I can count that on one hand. Because there's so much to get ready. Isn't there the makeup, the hair, the... I don't even know what else happens. Makeup, hair, but it just takes a long time, doesn't it? But it's all worth it, right? Because on the wedding day, when the bride walks down the aisle and you see her, prepared and ready the radiant glory that comes as she walks down the aisle and all eyes are on her isn't that a wondrous sight to behold and friends the language in this passage here as Paul talks about uh, the cleansing of the church the washing and being made clean and being made holy it's actually the same language that is used of a bride preparing for her wedding day And this is what it's saying. It's saying that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and the church is His bride. And He has given His very life to prepare the bride for that final wedding celebration, that final wedding day where that ultimate union of Jesus and His church will be fulfilled. And we, His people, the church, will be presented in the fullness of our glory. And He gives His life so that that can happen. To cleanse us, to wash us, to make us holy, that we can attain the fullness of who we were meant to be, the glory that He has given to us. Friends, Christ is the head, but He's also the bride, and He gives everything for His bride. Everything. And husbands, this is the love that you are called to show as well. Self-sacrificial, total, all-giving love. And husbands, if you thought submission was hard, well, prepare yourselves because you have a responsibility that's unmatched to love in the same way that Jesus Christ loved His church. What a high calling that is. Let me tell you something, husbands. There's nothing more important besides God than your wife. Do you believe that? That's where it needs to start. You need to have a conviction that this is your God-given responsibility to prioritize your wife. This is what God wants. 
She is your priority. Are you convinced of that? You need to start there. And you need to be willing, which this means it. It means you need to be willing to give up everything for the sake of loving her. Everything. Anything. Let me tell you, there's plenty of times that myself as a husband, that I don't want to do that. And this is a hard thing. There's plenty of times, I don't, because I'm selfish, I don't want to give up things that I like for the sake of my wife. Why should I have to do that? But, brothers, let me remind you, this is what Jesus Christ wants for us. And we have to follow His example of self-sacrifice and all giving love for His church. So if you've had a long day at work and you want to come home and all you want to do is just sit on the couch and veg out and watch TV and play games or whatever, and your wife needs to talk to you, well, guess what? You talk to her because she needs you. If you had a fight, even if you don't think you're in the wrong, guess what? You should be the first to step up and say sorry. Sacrifice your pride for the sake of loving your wife. And whenever you don't feel like loving her, especially when you don't feel like loving her, that's when you are to love because that's what sacrifice is. It hurts. You don't do it when it's easy. Just when it's easy, you, you do it when it's hard. This is the nature of sacrifice. That's what it means to love your wife. You might be thinking at this point that this doesn't sound much like headship. It doesn't sound much like leadership in the marriage. In fact, it sounds quite weak. It sounds like, you know, we have to give up everything for the sake of our wives. Well, think about this. Think about how Jesus Christ served his church. He gave everything. This is servant leadership. The very nature of the headship of Jesus Christ was sacrifice and love. And that's exactly what husbands, we husbands, are called to. This is how Jesus leads. And we are to lead like that as well. It might not look like what the world thinks leadership is, but this is servant leadership. And I guarantee you, men, that if you love your wives like this, your wives will gladly follow your lead as they feel safe and secure knowing that you care and love them and will give anything for them. What wife wouldn't want to follow their husband then? Love like Christ loves His church. But also, love your wife as your own body. Have a look at verses 28 to 30 with me. Verses 28 to 30. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Now, I acknowledge that there's varying levels of how well the men in this church care for their bodies. I understand that. Um, but at the very least, we all know that we need to take care of our bodies, don't we men? We need to feed and care for our bodies to grow, for our bodies to grow, for our bodies to be healthy. They need some attention. And this is the image that Paul actually gives us as to how we are to love our wives. This is the second image he gives us. So Christ in the church and now to love as our own bodies. Just like we love our own bodies and just like Jesus Christ loves his body, the church, that is how husbands are to love their wives. Husbands, we are to nourish and cherish our wives. That's the ESV translation. I like that language. Nourish and cherish our lives, our, our wives. And here's the question. Are you helping to do that? Are you helping to do that? Are you helping your wife to grow and to be healthy? This takes the form of many different things. It makes, uh, takes the form of uh, emotional and physical well-being. Uh, for one. So when was the last time you offered to take the kids so that your wife could have a little bit of time off to recharge? Um, how often are you uh, offering to help with the, the washing and the cleaning and things around the house? So this isn't about gender roles, you might notice, but this is about serving and loving your wife and helping her grow. How often are you helping out with these jobs so that your wife can rest? How often are you making your wife feel cherished? Does your wife feel love? Does she know that she's precious to you? She did when you were dating. How about now? Is your wife being cherished? Does she know that you care for her? These are the sort of things that are important. The little things in one sense that are important for wives to grow, for wives to be healthy, for wives to flourish. But 
when we're talking about growth and we're talking about health, and especially as we think about the relationship of Jesus Christ in His church, um, what we have to understand is that the priority, something that we cannot neglect, is your wife's spiritual well-being. It's her spiritual well-being. That's our undeniable priority. Husbands, this is where we all need to step up and lead boldly. The question to ask is this. How are you helping your wife grow more like Jesus? How are you helping your wife grow more like Jesus? Now, this will look different for everybody. I'm not expecting everyone, and I don't think God's asking everyone to be some alpha male leader in the house who conducts three-hour Bible study seminars every night with the whole family and in the original languages or anything like that. That's not what is asked. But what God is asking is that you take initiative in this area, that you lead in this area, that you be the head in this area. So it's, it's going to take the form of many different things. It could be as simple as sharing with your wife what you're learning from the Bible, what you've been struck by from God's Word. Maybe on a Sunday night you want to be reflecting on the sermon together, asking, you know, talking about what you learned and what you heard. Maybe you, you get a devotional book and you just sit down and just read that together occasionally, a little devotional. Maybe you're asking her, uh, how, how can I pray for you? Such a simple thing, but a great way to care for and help her to be growing in her Christ-likeness. Take the kids, free up your schedule a bit so your wife can go to a Bible study with the other women. And husbands, here's a really simple baseline one which I think we all need to be putting an effort into. Just You be the one to make sure your family gets to church. You do that. You be the one to say, no excuses, we're going to be at church every Sunday. And all of these things, as we talk about spiritual growth, it all starts with our own spiritual well-being, doesn't it? It all starts with the fact that we're committed and convicted about these things. And if we're not, then we need to start there and work on that because that's what God wants right, for you as a husband. But husbands, the key here is that we do take the initiative, that we do put in the effort, that we, we're the ones driving our families forward towards godliness. Because I think often that's where we fail. Let me ask you something. In your marriage, who's saying the word let's more? Let's. Let's read our Bibles. Let's pray. Let's get to church. In my observation, oftentimes it is the wives in the relationship. The wives driving the husbands forward. And I think, to be honest, that's a disgrace when that happens. Your wife should not be the one that's, that, that's saying we need to get to church. Your wife shouldn't be having to nag you to think about your spiritual life because this is the role that God has given you. God has given you the headship role in the marriage so that you can encourage and grow your wife and grow your kids to lead your family to godliness. Friends, this is God's role for us. Brothers, do you know this? One of the biggest problems, I think, in marriages that I observe is lazy husbands. There's no way to sugarcoat it. Lazy husbands. Lazy husbands who actually aren't lazy in other areas of life because they're happy to devote themselves to work and money and playing. But when it comes to their wife and the well-being of their wife and the spiritual growth of their wife, then that suddenly falls off. Men, we need to step up. Do you want healthy families? Do you want, do you want families that trust in Jesus Christ? Well, it's up to you to take the initiative to step up and lead. Do you want your wives to respect you? Well, lead them. Show them Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Because that is the role that God's given you. This is what God is telling us here. Love your wives by nourishing and cherishing them. At this point, I want to just say something um, to husbands and wives. Uh, one thing I don't want you to do is walk away from the sermon and go home and produce this massive list for your husband or wife of things that they have to do. 
right? That's not the point. Because these commands are given for a purpose. You know what Ephesians is all about? It's all about unity. It's about oneness in Christ. So these uh, instructions are given so that we can have marriages that demonstrate unity. So do not use these passages to divide your marriage. To say, look, here's all the things that you need to do. And look, here's all the things that you need to fix up. What we need to do is take away the instructions that are for ourselves. So wives, listen to the instructions for wives. Husbands, listen to the instructions for husbands. And take away and work on those things. And together you'll create a marriage which honors Jesus Christ. A spirit-filled relationship of willing submission and loving headship. But I want to take some time to talk about when marriages don't look like this. Point three, the ultimate distortion. Unfortunately, passages like Ephesians 5 have been used to justify abuse in marriages. And I want to say this really clearly. This is the ultimate distortion of what God wants. It's evil. It's wicked. God does not want this for marriage. There is no biblical justification for abuse. Nothing. And I acknowledge that when I talk about this now, it will be painful for some, so I apologize about that. But how it's so important that we bring this issue out of the shadows, that we don't ignore this as a church and think that, oh, this just does not happen and we don't need to worry about this. We need to think hard about this. Firstly, we need to understand that abuse takes many different forms. It isn't just physical. It can also be sexual, financial, psychological, and many more. It's a whole host of other things. And the key here, the, 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 the principle that underlies all these things is power and control. Power and control. Now, every couple, every couple will have conflicts. I think you know that. Every healthy relationship um, has conflicts. But in those healthy relationships, you're free to speak your mind. You're free to express yourself. Relationships become abusive when one party uh, starts to fear the other. Where um, they, one party pressures the other to get their own way. Where intimidation is used, where threats are used, where uh, people threaten to take away money where insults and humiliation are used, where put-downs are used to oppress the other person, to force them a particular way, that's abuse. When the other person starts to become afraid, they don't feel safe disagreeing. They don't feel safe speaking their mind. And out of fear, they do whatever it takes to make the other person happy. It's about power and control. If you feel afraid in your relationship, express yourself. If you feel scared to say something, then their point is that something is wrong with your relationship. Wives, and it could be husbands too, this is not gender limited, do you you feel afraid in your marriage? If you do, then seek help. This might be pointing to an abusive relationship. Talk to someone, please. Talk talk to a counsellor talk to myself, talk to Lee Ching. We will not minimize this issue. We're here to listen and help you. But I just urge you to get help. Get help. Don't, don't trap yourself in the relationship thinking that I must submit. This is what God wants for you. God does not want this for you. I'd urge you to get help. Husbands, God has no tolerance for any sort of abusive relationship in your marriage. None at all. Your authority is given to you to care, not to crush. So any form of abuse in your relationship, in your marriage, there's no excuse for that. Absolutely no excuse. You need to understand that God has no tolerance of this. And the only possible response if you're engaged in this sort of behavior is to get down on your knees and to pray and to repent. Turn away from your sin and come back to Jesus and give thanks that He is gracious to accept you again. As we finish, I just want to say a brief word on the bigger picture. As we seek to live out spirit-filled marriages of willing submission and loving headship in this 
complicated world of ours. We do so knowing something. We do so knowing that these earthly marriages that we have here on this earth, however imperfect they are, or however good they are, are really just a tiny reflection of something much, much better, something much, much bigger. And that's the glorious union of Jesus Christ and His church awaiting us in the future. And let me tell you something. Um, He invites you into that. He invites you in. Jesus Christ wants you to be part of that intimate, loving relationship with Him because He loves you and He's given everything for you. That's for every single one of us here today. He invites you in. And even though our marriages here on this earth are important and we need to invest in these marriages and these instructions we need to work hard on, they are nothing, nothing compared to the importance of the heavenly marriage waiting in the future. So brothers and sisters, as we live out marriages in this world, I'll ask you to keep looking forward to the heavenly marriage, the glorious union of Christ and the church, and give thanks that we have the privilege of submitting to Jesus Christ, our good Lord and Savior, that we can willingly submit to His loving care and His rule, and that we will be secure and safe for eternity. Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks for Jesus Christ and His sacrifice and His love And we give thanks because of that, that we can be united with Him as His church and His people. What grace and love has been shown to us to undeserving people. And Father, as we look towards this marriage, may we use that as a model for our earthly marriages here on this earth. May we live out marriages that glorify You and not ourselves. May we live out marriages of spirit-filled submission and headship in a way which points to Jesus Christ each and every day. And may your Holy Spirit work in our hearts so that we may do that for your glory. And Father, even as we struggle in our experiences with imperfect marriages around us, let us look forward to the perfect marriage to come and give thanks that we have been invited in to this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, our loving Lord and our loving ruler. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.